Did you know that the first console to use cartridges was the Fairchild Channel F, which was released in North America in 1976? You're listening to the Xbox Hub podcast, the official podcast of the xboxhub.com. For the latest Xbox news, reviews, videos, and opinions, make sure you visit the xboxhub.com. But for now, settle down, get comfy, and open your ears for some podcast delights. Hello, welcome to the Xbox Hub official podcast, episode 172. My name is Gareth Bryan, I'm going to be your host, and on my virtual left is Mr. Darren Edwards. How are you doing, Darren? Oh, I'm glad you chose me. Hello, hello, I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good. I've got to put you on the left. Um, and on Thank my you. virtual right is Mr. Paul Renshaw. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing all right as well. I'm glad you've got us on the right sides, um, sort of politically speaking. You know, I'm, I'm hoping to work the Uxbridge by-election into the conversation so we can hear Darren crying. But other than that, everything else is awesome. I like the way you're claiming that as a victory. <laughs> it yeah. totally is. Listen, just, just because the vote went from a 7,000 majority down to like 500, it's still a majority. Yeah, true. That's absolutely right. Um, uh, uh, gentlemen, what's your week been like? Um, Dan, what have you been doing? Paul, you could be director of comms for number 10 with that. <laughs> um, I've, yeah, I've had a lovely week, thank you. So I uh, broke up for a bit of holiday on Friday from work, so currently in the middle of a week off, and we went to um, a local music festival here in Nottingham called Splendour, um, and it was a two-day event, and it rained all weekend, um, but it was still a lot of fun. So we got to see some brilliant acts such as Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, Madness, even the Sugar Babes were there, Sam Ryder from Eurovision. It was a real kind of eclectic mix of different acts. So had a really, really good weekend um, and just been catching up with uh, review games other than that, really. So I'm nice and relaxed this week. And what's your favourite one? If you had to choose one out of your lineup? Oh, I mean, there's so many highlights because there were... There were some bands that I've not listened to for ages, such as um, In Spiral Carpets were there, who kind of forgotten kind of Brit poppy era band. Um, but I think it was uh, Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds. They headlined the Sunday and he played a few Oasis tunes to kind of close out the set. And in the pouring rain, thousands of people singing Live Forever and Don't Look Back in Anger. It was quite special. So I enjoyed that. Oh, good. Um, Paul, have you... Your, your weekend. I, I, I have a couple of I have a couple of questions, if I may. Oh, go on. Oh, yes, please. Um, number one, no carvery. No carvery. Yeah, a week no. off and no carvery. What? Who are you, and what have you done with Darren? I've got half of the week left, so you put the idea into the head. Actually, can I say that? Um, for our American... I know. I know that you still like. Uh, you still think it's the eighties, so uh, you're a fan oh. of a carvery. So um, my, for our American friends out there, a carvery is a sort of like a meat buffet <laughs> um, that was famous in 1987 and Darren still living the dream. Paul, what has your week Excellent. been like? My week has been nothing like as much fun as Darren's. Um, unfortunately, it's just involved lots of work. Um, I've been up to Manchester today um, just to see what's going on. And the the walls that they're taking down are creating so much dust I had to wear a face mask in the shop because I just couldn't breathe. It was, uh, it's awful. Um, but yeah, I've managed to, uh, 
sort out the CCTV system up there, plug it all back together again and get it working. So that was a minor win for me. But other than that, yeah, my week's been pretty crap, really. Oh. So, <laughs> but not, there you go. Not an improvement on last week, really, Paul. It's not, unfortunately. It's just like I have to keep going to work in order to make enough money to live. That's true. I it's, have a What's that, mate? It'll cheer you up. Fuck yourself in for a carvery. He'll cheer you right up. Yeah, but you know, I remember. <laughs> I remember 1987, mate, and it, it wasn't great back then. So I think it's probably still the same gravy, isn't it, from back then? <laughs> um, I have been watching some TV now. I think I might have talked about this before on the podcast and the first season. But on Disney, there's a series called The Bear, and it's in its second season now, which I've watched a whole lot of. The Bear, if people don't know, it's, it's done really well. It's won lots of awards. It's based in Chicago, and it the first season is about a, um, it's almost like a, a beef shop, like a sandwich beef shop, but sort of like a very trendy sort of like, well, not trendy at all. It's really kind of working class where people go, but the, the food's got a really good reputation. And it's a family runs it. The brother has committed suicide. Side and the main character comes back, but he's trained as a kind of like a Michelin star chef, you know, and come back to sort of like run the restaurant after his brother's death, and all sorts of things happen. And um, it's the place is sort of falling apart. But it, the first season was amazing because it was about this kind of journey about it's about food, but also about this kind of like very hectic kind of like way of running this restaurant. It's the it's the way it's done. It's 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 so high paced. It's so high energy. Um, it's like uh, watching really fast speaking people talking over each other. Beautifully written. And the second season came out on Disney, and oh my word, it just it just makes it even better with all star cameos from everyone else. Um, it's a wonderful, especially if you like kind of if you like food or you like restaurant or you like interest in that. It's a must. But if you don't like any of that, it doesn't matter because it's just some of brilliant pieces of TV. But it's on Disney at the moment. So not everyone's got Disney. Hopefully it might go on something else, you know. I've got a funny feeling one of the terrestrials might pick it up. But um yeah, have a look at the bear. I think you'd all everyone here would love it. Yeah. There you go. Mm. Is it like Gordon mm. Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares? <laughs> it's a bit like that <laughs> at some point, yeah. They're kind of like a, the abuse sometimes they give each other a bit oh. like that. Yeah. So yeah. has that has that Sold, then. Yeah. yeah. Sold. Uh, I think there was a British um British film and I can't remember the name of it. Um, Stephen Graham. The menu. The, the no. menu's notes. What's the one with Stephen Graham? Maybe it's called. Oh, Shit. oh yeah. It was it all one shot. Yes. I can't remember the name yeah. of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boiling point. Boiling point. Yeah. yeah. Um, that has a kind of similar. There's some similar bits to that in that you know really kind of high energy high. Energy. I think Boiling Point's got a TV series now, but that's worth watch. Um, oh wow. Now we're going to start with an interview. Um, Marquette the game that's hit Xbox Game Pass from PlayStation and Switch is there now for you to play. And we get a chance to speak to the, the main creative director, Hanford Lamour. And this is what he said. Hi, um, here we are with Hanford Lamour. Hanford, what was, what's your role in this amazing game, first of all? Um, well, first, thanks for having me. Um... Let's see. And my role on this game was, I guess, game director. Um, it was my idea. Um, I originally came up with it as a prototype um, and showed it at Game Developers Conference. And then over the years, kind of put a, together a team and kind of coordinated all, all, the, all the people who, who made it come true. 
And I always hate to ask this question because I hate doing it myself, but what's your pitch for the game? If you had to pitch it to me now. Wow, if I had to pitch to you now, like, that's a good question. I mean, I think the tagline was, you know, it's a world nested inside of itself recursively um, that tells a love story. Um, you know, uh, I, th I think the, the main mechanic of it and the thing that really got the game its legs when I showed it at, at Game Developers Conference is this idea that the world is nested inside of itself recursively. And what that means is you have a world, um, and then in the center of that world is a smaller version of the same world. Um, and whatever you do in one version of the world happens in the other. Um, and so you can go back and forth. And also there's a, a even bigger version of that world around the normal-sized world. And, and you can go back and forth between all these things uh, and interact with them in interesting ways. Um, and the puzzles kind of unfold the story. So when you were thinking, because the gameplay mechanics so original when I first I played it, first of all, back on the PlayStation, um, back in the time, which I, and um, I was, I thought I never played anything like this before, and like you said, perspectives. How did they come to be, those those mechanics in your head? Was that the first thing you had, this thought? Yeah, the, the original, I had thought about that idea just as a mechanic, and I had no idea, um, and this was years and years and years ago, I had no idea how I would make it, I was actually thinking of it in 2D, um, and uh, I didn't really know what I would do, but I was kind of messing around um, in 3D with physics engines. And um, I was looking at like uh, uh, how physics engines, video game physics engines, they, they can create some really chaotic movement. Like if, you, if a ball hits a block and the block falls over, it tumbles in, in a really unpredictable way. Um, and it feels like a never the same way twice type of movement. Um, and I thought about copying the physics from one object onto another object. Um, and I got that working, and it, it looks very surreal because you have this once-in-a-lifetime animation, um, but you're seeing it duplicated on another object. Uh, and as soon as I saw it working that way, my, my brain kind of went back to the idea of the world within a world. Um, and within a weekend, I, I had knocked together a prototype. Um, and like the very first thing that happens when you, when you stick a world within a world... Um, at least in my prototype, was I, I crushed myself. Like, I picked up a normal-sized object, I carried it to the center of the world, and now it's a giant object. And I had no roof over it at the beginning. Um, <laughs> and so you could easily just crush yourself. You could just drop, drop an object <laughs> on yourself. And that's kind of how the dome came about. I stuck this dome over it. Um, so I was like, okay, that'll, that'll protect you. Um, and that kind of became the iconic shape for the game, and you still see that today. But that was, like, one of the very first things I had added, like... Um, to the game, um, and also with the, the title itself, I've never heard of this word before. So where did that come? Did that come? Did you have that in your head, or did you? Yeah. So this, this is actually another funny one where um, I originally, before I programmed it, I wrote up a single-page document of puzzles I thought I could make with it because I was like, why, why build this unless I really understand? Um, and I titled it Scale. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, you know, right before I sent it to Game Developers Conference, because um, I was sending it, they were going to review a bunch of games and decide what they were going to show. I said, you know, scale, that's that's just, uh, where's the twist? I, I need a better twist. That was the first, I believe that the first thing that pops in your head, you shouldn't use that one. Because it's, if it's the first thing that popped into your head, it's probably the same thing that popped into other people's heads. Um, and so I, I knew about the word maquette from, from um, 
kind of working in the physical media world with with um, I spent some time working for Disney and they would build these these scale models of things and they called them maquettes. So I, I named it that. Uh, and then when I got the Game Developers Conference that year, um, I sat down. I was I was at a, a coffee shop with a bunch of game developers I know, uh, and I I fired up my game, uh, and a, and a friend of mine, Steve Swink. He said, oh, wow, this is really cool. It kind of reminds me of my game called Scale. <laughs> and it was like, yep, that's exactly why I renamed it. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. A really, that's good, really good advice. Don't go for the mm. first thing. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, 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 um, it's, a, it's a, the whole concept of that is really interesting. Did you, did this, we'll talk about the story a bit later on in a minute, but did, you, did the story come afterwards? Did you kind of have the puzzle or were they working together at the same time? Yeah, I, I had the mechanic, uh, and then I kind of I did the same thing again, which is I picked the first story that popped into my brain. It's kind of a, a I don't want to call it generic, but it was you know a bog standard uh, kind of trapped in a world type of story, and and I think you know that's a common thing, like like a story that. Uh, is built around why the mechanic exists. So like, oh, like a wizard trapped you inside of a world within a world, or a science experiment gone wrong, and it trapped you inside of a, a world within a world. And and I was kind of rolling on steam with that, and I, I kind of kind of sketched out the levels I wanted as I was playing with puzzles. And at some point I realized that it just wasn't an inspiring enough story for me. And, and I realized why. It was because I, I did that exact same thing. I just took kind of the first story that popped into my head, um, this kind of uh, wizard trapped you in a world, and I applied that. So I was sitting there, and I was thinking, you know, what's a, uh, uh, you know, what's the spin on this? Um, and I, I was kind of thinking, uh, this is kind of a really, uh, I'm going to give you a very, very brief over, uh, overview of this, but like I, I was thinking, oh, why don't you make the story about making the game itself, because um, that's recursive, right? right? The story is the story of making the game, uh, or the game is the story of making the game. Uh, and I thought, well, no one's going to play that. Um, <laughs> but then I started playing around with the idea of like, well, I have a relationship with this game. I have this connection with this game. Um, and you know, it's been taking me a while to make it on my own, and and so I kind of personified that, and and as soon as I got on the relationship uh, uh, path, I, I realized uh, this was much more interesting than than any one of those, you know, um, mechanic justifies mechanic justifies the puzzle type of thing, mm. or mechanic justifies the story type of thing, um, and uh, it was really the twist. I needed personally to be able to like really put my mark on the game. Great, yeah, absolutely. Um, were there any other games or, or films or books or anything else? Was it was an influence when you were making it? Things you were in the back of your mind? Um, wow, all sorts of. I mean, you know, once you start working on something like this, um, you know, when you have a really strong mechanic like this, you start to you start to see elements of it everywhere. You know, mm. um, you know, you you go to a um, you know, a, a theme park where they might have like a little model city uh, in their gardens, and and you think, oh wow, I'm a giant and I can crush that. <laughs> or uh, you know, movie like any movies that played with scale, 
um, are really fun. And like in some of the later chapters of, of the game, you get into the really, really big world. Um, and I think, I think um, you know, we watched a lot of uh, movies like Toy Story and like, like really old ones like uh, Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Wow. <laughs> like from the 1960s. Yeah, mm. just anything that plays with scale where they, uh, you know, because there's, there's this whole different world. Um, you know, you just take a camera, take your iPhone and stick it really, really close to your baseboards and take a, a macro photo of it. And you'll see like dirt and dust and, and it's just completely uh, different scale. That's, that's really fun. Mm. Good. Um, let's just talk, just talk about the music as well, because it's integral to the, I think, the beats of the story and um, especially some of the bands you work with, with the narrative without giving too much away. But how, how, was, that, how was that process of working? Was that a process that you worked with before? Or was it, was no, this, this, again, it like, not to make this a theme, but this is another one where, you know, the very first thing you think is, oh, I'm making a video game. I'm, I'm going to need to hire someone to write a score for it. Um, and I was sitting there and I was, I was thinking about the game and thinking about the score. And I thought, you know, what would really be cool is if we got music that kind of, the music could be the, the music that the characters listen to during the relationship, right? Um, mm. Like a mixtape or something like that. Um, and as soon as I got that idea in my head, it, it became this fun research project. I also made it way harder on myself because uh, I decided that every, every band or piece of music that, that we were gonna put in the game would have some kind of connection to San Francisco. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought that would ground the story in reality. You know, it would give it just a little bit more like, like some base truth. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I just spent literally years gathering bands, putting them in a playlist, um, constantly playing that playlist um, while working on the game. And then, you know, occasionally, you know, a song I'd listened to like a hundred times, um, I might be working on a section of the game and all of a sudden that song just sounds perfect for that section of the game. Uh, and so then we'd get in contact uh, with the creators. Um, and I'd say about, I think half, half the ba half the songs were people I know personally or met personally. Mm. And the other half were just music that I found out there, uh, and then worked with their, um, record labels, uh, to get them. Oh, fantastic. Have they, has, have they played the game? Some of them, or some of them, all, all of them played the game? Um, I, I, I don't, the, the people I know, uh, have definitely either played it or at least, you know, watched, watched playthroughs of it. And mm. we've talked heavily about it. Um, I have no idea about, about some of the other bands, but, um, I hope they at least know of it by now. Like, I do know that like everyone who I know who had music out on YouTube or Spotify, like all their, all their listens jumped up oh, massively yeah. when the game came out. So, um, it, I, I was, I was the same. I kind of, I think I must have, I was tracked down those tracks, you know, those tracks straight away. So yeah, it's a great thing for them as well. Yeah. Um, now, of course, this story is a sort of, I think, a beautiful examination of a relationship between two people. That's that's all I'm going to say without Thank giving you. too away. Um, now, how did that when you when you were writing on and working with that? You obviously worked with um, Bryce Dallas Howard and Seth Gable. Uh, who mm -hmm. voices did you how was that process did you did you just come with the script and they read was it a negotiation um did they yeah. contribute yeah we yeah they they did uh so you know i had the script written um and i was working with a uh 
a writer named Gracie Gardner, who was also helping me um, on various sections of the story. And um, when you know everything fell into place with um, Bryce Dallas Howard um, and Seth Gable, um, we had a really small window to get the recording done. This was um, uh, in the middle of 2020 during COVID. And I think, uh, what movie was it? Oh, it was Jurassic Dominion, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World Dominion. Hmm. Uh, had been delayed, and so she was kind of sequestered in her house with her husband. Um, and by the way, we we went looking specifically for uh, uh, actors who who had a relationship together. I thought that would really bring something um, to the recording. Um, but how we ended up doing it was we put the script um, into Google Docs, and I gave the actors iPads, or they used their own iPads. But they had the Google Docs pages open on their iPads. And um, as they would rehearse and, and record, if, if they improvised or if, if, if they came up with something that was, that was funny or better, um, I would just edit it in the Google Doc right there. And it would just update instantly on their iPads. Right? <laughs> it's got that live change. So mm. we were able to really actually iterate pretty fast in that way. Um, and you're like, they're, they're not like scribbling notes on a piece of paper and they're not trying to remember what their improvisation was. Uh, and they, they brought a ton to it. It, w it was incredibly collaborative. It's, I, I, that's a really interesting point when you say about you, you were looking for two actors who were in a relationship. And it's a very interesting thing because it, it's, it's an examination of a relationship, all the highs and lows. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I always think... It's a tough one. I know they're actors, and I know the thing, but it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's it can be tough. That isn't it? It's a very interesting dynamic um, to yes. get to two people to examine that, and you know, was that? But both on camera and off too. Um, her, like like obviously there were there were some super tough scenes for them to record. I wouldn't say it was tough for them, but it was shocking to to watch them go to you know a low point mm. for the story. And then, like you know, as soon as the scene was over, they'd both look at me and go, "How was that?" You know, it was, it was like they they could shift right in and out of it, and I could say, "Oh, do that with more intensity, or do that with less intensity." They were professionals there. Yeah. Um, but I also really saw like like when in between takes, um, like they gave each other notes and they gave each other like line reads, and they 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 worked really closely, and um, I. I I honestly think that was something that that they had built up over over their careers, um, mm. uh, and I I wouldn't assume that you know when they first got married, that was the type of relationship <laughs> they had. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure, but like they really had that great dynamic. They they knew each other and they could really kind of um, off camera. I, like there were times I just sat back and kind of watched watched them work stuff out. I mm. it, it was very very amazing. It feels very natural as well. You can hear that. Yeah. Um, now, it's been on PlayStation and in other places, has it, for a while? Has it been on Switch, I think, as well? So, yeah. Switch came out, uh, I think, just before uh, uh, Game Pass, yeah. Right. So why now the move to Xbox? Was it always a, uh, a, a thing in your head that it was going to go to Xbox or was just a, it went to PlayStation first for a while? Yeah, you know, I... I I'm an Xbox gamer, and um, I mean, I love both consoles, mm -hmm. but you know, I I love Game Pass, and I I, I think it's incredible, and I, I always wanted the game on Game Pass, but you know, there's a whole bunch of moving parts behind the scenes, like versus like 
are we on Game Pass? Are we not? Um, we had we also had an, uh, a brief exclusive with with PlayStation as well, um, and then also the porting, um, the port from you know we we basically made the game on a PC, uh, uh, and then you know near the end when we got the PlayStation exclusive, we kind of put a lot of effort into polishing it for for PlayStation. Um, the the Xbox conversion probably. Had we done it a different way, we probably could have been out sooner on the Xbox. But like I said, there's a lots of moving pieces and mm. like what Microsoft wants. Like, like when you have a Game Pass deal, it's not just oh, as soon as you get the game done, let's put it on Game Pass. It's like Microsoft has their own schedule for that. Um, but also, we were doing the port with the Switch at the same time, right? Through the same studio, and the Switch, you know, was a massive amount of work mm. just to get just to get this game working. And I think, you know, just a lot of moving parts there. But I, I'm excited. Like I used to scroll through Game Pass uh, and see uh, friends of mine see their games in Game <laughs> Pass. Get so envious. I'm like, ah, why is Maquette not there? But you know, I knew it was coming. Um, I've just got a couple more questions. What What's next sure. for you? Have you got another? Can you let us know anything future projects, or is it all under wraps? Um, we are working on something new. Um, I, I can't really talk much about it. Um, but I, I'll say that, you know, we just moved into, I kind of, how I like to work is I like to do kind of a research phase myself. Um, and, um, I've been kind of like exploring ideas and we're just kind of moving into production now. Um, and it's not, it's not a sequel to Maquette or anything (laughs) like that. Um, but hopefully it will have some, hopefully here and there it will have some mind bending moments. Good. Um, but that's. That's you know it's still really really early. I, I you know that's about all I can I can say about. I it, so. I, I expect nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, now my final questions. Stronger now. This was when I played this. I played some PlayStation first of all, and I just mm-hmm. had. I think I might have had a PlayStation Five, and it was lockdown here in um, from COVID. And yeah. so this was my lockdown game. In the right. midst of it, in the January kind of like very dark period where. Um, Lots was going on. People were very ill. People were in hospital. People were dying. And this was this was the game I I had. And it was a so it has quite a spe- those lockdown games have quite a special moment, special bit in your heart for you because you kind of remember that time. It's it's this one yeah. and uh, Death Stranding, weirdly for me, <laughs> on both games. Right. Um, right. Did you have one? Did you have a game that you uh, you you played that during the lockdown period that you? Uh, it- Interesting. I, I I did and lockdown. I I was I I was in Las Vegas at the time. Still am. Um, and lockdown meant something different out here in Las Vegas <laughs> than it meant for others. But but honestly, uh, at Minecraft Dungeons. Believe it or not, like uh, I locked on again. A Game Pass game cost me nothing to, to try. Um, and it was just the lighthearted type of like it wasn't too hard. Um, it was one of those things where I could get online with my friends and we could just goof around in that game. Uh, and for me, it was like, that was the escape I needed. Like, right. like I'm playing Diablo 4 now. I'm like, wow, this is a complicated game. And there's a lot to sink into. And I think Minecraft Dungeons actually had that opposite where it's like, wow, this is kind of an arcade version of a mm. Diablo-style game. Like, you don't have to put too much thought into it. Um, we had a lot of fun with that one. That was kind of our, my go-to just... Just burned out. Let me yeah. sit down on the couch and fire that one up. Yeah. Need to escape. Yeah. Rather, I needed to really cut kind of puzzles and 
and uh, an examination of, of human relationships in my lockdown. I think that's what I was going for, which it perfectly right, right. was. A fantastic game. I really, I, I love the game, and I'm looking forward to playing it again on Game Pass now. I'm going to go through it again, but it was a, a great experience, brilliant, brilliant piece of work. And uh, oh, thank you so much. Hans, thank you for your time. That's really good. Everyone should be excited about playing it on Game Pass, and it's out now. Thank you, Hanford. Thank you. And there we go, Marquette. Um, are you two going to play this game, Darren? No. No, Paul. Because Paul's, Paul's terrible. <laughs> yes. um, oh, where, where's the uh, Where's the aliens, Paul? No. Where's it's... the aliens? Where's the guns? Where's the explosion? <laughs> Don't care. You know, I, I was getting um, kind of instant kind of flashbacks to um, It Takes Two. Just you know, with because you've got the the kind of two leads um, mm. and the way you know you were you were talking about their relationship and how that comes through into the game anything like that it, i just i just think it sounds braille so i'm looking forward to checking this one out yeah it's one for me i think when i said it, it was a really interesting thing when i played because it was lockdown which i said in the interview and it was this kind of very intimate kind of like you know you're just you feel like you're eavesdropping at times but also the puzzle on its own the puzzle dynamics of the kind of like like he said, the different kind of like sizes and uh, the way you're dealing with kind of large scale and then small scale is really clever. It's really it's really fun to play. Sorry, Paul, what are you going to say? Um, I was just going to say, I, listening to the fella chatting, it was good how how passionate he was about mm. this game. It was it was it really came through that he believed in what he was doing, mm. and I thought it was interesting that he had. Um, a, a, a couple that were in a relationship to do the the voices of the um, of the two leads. Mm. So yeah, I thought I thought I listened to it and then thought, yeah, that sounds it does sound all right. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, I mean, I've got um, Atlas Fallen coming. You're, you're never playing that to, to review, yeah. so uh, I'm not going to have time to play my cat. <laughs> so maybe you should play it again on Game. I, I think I am going to play it again. I did say I'll play it again. I really enjoyed it. I, well, you I, I'm not to your time with no Atlas Fallen. <laughs> that's so. true. Um, it's a lovely, yeah, it's a lovely experience, and it's on Game Pass. It's worth giving it a go. I would really highly recommend it. And the music is amazing. The thing you talked about the bands that is the music is brilliant. Um, good. Now let's talk about what games we've been playing. It's still, it's been. Oh, actually, we've been playing some good games. It's still sort of slow at the time. None of the big ones are out yet, but we've had a, we've had some fun. Darren, let's start with you. What's your first one? Uh, so I've been playing a game called Ed Zero Zombie Uprising, um, which uh, is kind of self-explanatory, I guess, apart from the first half of the title. So you um, play as he's basically a samurai warrior. Um, who lives in a world where the dead are coming back to life um, and you are based in a small town and you have to go out on like runs into like dungeons and multiple floors if you like and fight off um, zombies that are kind of roaming around different places uh, you can manage your stats in terms of health and hunger and pick up like uh, trinkets and charms to give you certain boosts whether that's increasing your attack power or um, being resistant to explosive damage for example because in some of the dungeons there'll be um, special kind of effects so enemies might explode after death etc etc so it's um, I can never remember which way around it is it's a bit I think it's roguelike because you don't keep anything where if you die um, you don't lose your overall progress but you do lose your items that you've that you've gathered on that run um, and there are 
four different difficulty settings and I'm playing on normal and I'm getting killed quite a lot. And then there's like hard, extreme, and then someone, I, I have no idea, but it looks horrendous. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's okay, but it, it's, I'm struggling to kind of really get into it. I think it's the combat itself, which is what it's based on. It's very hack and slashy and you can equip special moves um, via charms, I think they're called. Um, but there isn't an awful lot of variation, and I'm struggling with the defensive block at the minute as well. And then as soon as a couple of zombies start tearing into you, they can take your health bar away in the blink of an eye, and then you're out and you're back to the beginning. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've only played a couple of hours or so so far, um, but I've not instantly taken to it. Um, so we'll have to see what it holds going forward, I guess. Right. Um, is, is this a game that all the streamers have been going mad about? There's been a lot of streamers doing stuff on it. Has there? I've no idea. Yeah. It's a bit. It, it's a bit Dynasty Warriors at first, but it's not as fast paced, and it's just loads of zombies. Um, but I'm not sure. I've not seen any. I'll have to look that up okay. because uh, it's first I've heard of it. To be honest. Yeah. Oh, so sort of averagey zombie game. Yeah, a hack and slasher, um, a little bit of strategy through the different kind of status effects and stuff, and you can buff your character up with different trinkets. But yeah, not um, not wow on me so far. Okay, that's a shame. What about you, Paul? Um, I just wanted to ask Darren a question, oh, yeah. if I could, because I know that he's a big fan of a zombie game. Because I've played um, what was that game we played together, Daz? Can you remember the name of it? With the loads of zombies, and you have to shoot them all in the face. World War Z. That's the is that the one where you had with you there's like four of you and you have to build defenses and stuff. Is that yeah. the right am I thinking of the think, right one? Is it so. as good as that? Because <laughs> no. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> oh no, it's not World War Z, it's back for blood. Is that what you're thinking of? No, 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 no. I think it was World War Z. Oh, you okay. start off the first level, you're in like a skyscraper and the old yeah, boring. That is World War Z, yeah. Yeah, I love World War Z. I enjoyed playing that with you. That was quite good fun. And the multiplayer was brilliant as well, but I don't think it's on mm. Game Pass anymore. Um, no, it's nowhere near as fast paced as that. Um, okay. you, when you go through these, they're called dungeons and they've got floors, but it's just. Um, small areas and you go through a gate have a bit of a chance to pick up some items to to kind of heal or, or, or kind of tool up and then you go on to the next floor so it's quite and it's procedurally generated i think because i've played a few runs and i haven't found two of the same even though i've died and had to restart the mission um yeah. but it's quite slow paced yeah they're just kind of shambling around and if they see you they'll kind of shamble up to you they're not all piling in on mass to to get you now Okay, well, Good. thank you very much. Um, Paul, what's your game? Um, I have a couple of games that I could potentially choose from. I mm. think the first one I'm going to do is War Mongrels, because I know you were looking forward to this. Review, yeah, Gary. well, it's been four months. Um, yeah, shut your face. So, honestly. Anyway, War Mongrels, it's a game set on the Eastern Front in World War Two. And you play as a couple of uh, German soldiers who decide that they've had enough of this war. Um, it's, it's The first thing to say is the story is really well shown. It's really well illustrated. It's like the story is shown in a series of animated cutscenes with really, really stylized graphics. 
And it kind of shows how these guys joined the army thinking they were going to be the saviors of Germany. And then their, their sort of morale's been eroded by the orders that they were given, where they had to kill civilians and this, that and the other. But anyway, you can see the sort of way that their mental health declines. Um, and they decide to desert. And then basically you take control of them and you've got to get them through various missions. Um, so the story and the way the game looks are fantastic. I really enjoyed them. What I didn't enjoy were the controls. It looks like they've taken the controls from the PC version where you've got, you know, 102 keys and a mouse, et cetera, et cetera. And then they kind of just looked at the Xbox controller and sort of threw them onto it. So there's there's no sort of easy way to get your guys to do anything. Mm. The worst bit is if you have to choose a skill, you have to hold down the right trigger and then select the skill with the left stick. And then if you want to use that skill, you have to hold down the left trigger, move it with the right stick onto the guy that you want to attack, say. Then you have to press A twice to make him attack the guy. But obviously, at the time, the guy is also moving. So if you press A while you're on it the first time, by the time you press A again, the guy's moved. So then you press A on a bit of spare ground. So your fella stands up and wanders off and stands there instead. <laughs> so, oh, honestly, it was pad chewingly frustrating trying to get this game to play properly. Um, and it's such a shame because the, the source material, what they're doing with the story, was really good. Mm. So, yeah, well, the review's live on the site now. So if you fancy having a look at it, have a look. But the controls just killed it for me. Yeah. Four and a half stars? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. I was thinking five oh. and a half, to be honest. You can hear the oh. door. That's the door. That's, the door. A, that's our little guest again. door. That's it. It's good. Every, every week, the holding door comes in at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, th I, I think it's really poor. I think that's a, it's a point. I think there's been a lot of like, those types of games. Oh, there um, really are. And they've yeah. come over to Xbox. <laughs> and I think some will do their porting really well with the controls, and a lot of them I'm not bothering. They're just, it doesn't seem that they're not giving enough thought or something's going on with that. I don't know what's happening. Maybe it's time. I don't know. Money. I don't know. It's not, it's really unsatisfying when you can't control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it just makes it, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the double tapping A. To yeah. confirm an action, that's the most annoying part. Every other game, you choose your action, you choose the target, done. Yeah. There's none of this multiple presses. So, yeah. yeah, that's a really bad design idea. Not a good idea. Um, I've been playing a game called Frank and Drake. And Frank and Drake is a point-and-click adventure game. Um, it's You play, first of all, as, as Frank. Frank is... Um, is a guy living in a kind of made-up city, but he's sort of having kind of mental health problems, and he lives in a in a flat with his dog with two legs and one of those brilliant, you know, wheelchairs at the back, and he he is he's also the janitor of the the sort of apartment block he lives in as well. So he sort of have to do jobs and take care of people. But his landlord of the whole place is you've got a new housemate, and that's Drake. And the thing about Frank and Drake is. Um, Frank works in a day and Drake works at night in a in a bar and he's trying to seek out some truth. So they never actually meet 
they pass post-it notes to each other. In the, that's what you do in the in the in the flat, and uh, and then something happens. I won't say that links them both together, and they sort of both go on as well separately go on a quest that hopefully might meet up. So it starts off with kind of very realistic kind of themes, but then the sort of more fantasy elements start to come in. I'm not going to say anything else about the story because um, it will spoil it. But um, the sort of gameplay techniques is 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 some puzzle stuff you know, point and click stuff, some brilliant kind of inventive kind of weird stuff with cards and and all the puzzles are great. They're kind of a bit in a maze that you have to kind of work out stuff. Um all that's good, lots of kind of great um, diary entry. But it's it's a it's a graphical style that's amazing. It's kind of filmed it's done in a rotoscope, which is do you know what rotoscope is, you two? Doesn't matter if you don't. No, I'm, I'm yeah, hoping yeah. that you're going to educate us. So basically, you would have a light, you're filming live action. Yeah, so a film like you, mm. Paul, walking down the street. And yep. then I'll get that footage and then I'll trace over it. And I'll make it artistic. I'll draw everything. So I'll use it as a tracing. So mm. I'll have you and I'll animate you so it looks like you're in a um, film. I'm trying to think of really good examples. Um, in Disney, they did that in the you know, 60s, like in films like Mary Poppins. Most recently films like a scanner darkly um use that kind of technique you'll know it when you see it um so they use this and all the artistic style is absolutely stunning it's beautiful all the way through so they they have that but then they have this kind of great kind of graphical um way of just the drawing the kind of the world and when it goes into more kind of stranger fantasy elements it really comes alive yeah so i i loved it i think it was really good i think it's a again one of those kind of small indie teams uh I think they're Spanish, but I'm not 100% sure about that, who have created this kind of unique kind of artistic kind of point and clicker, which I really like. It's, it's great. Yeah. And a really brilliant story. Yeah, I'd give that. I gave it four, and I wonder why I gave it four only four. Maybe there was something to do with controls. Yeah, I think there was something to do with some of the controls. It was probably made for a mouse, and sometimes it could get a little bit fiddly. That's all it was. But yeah, uh, really liked it. Good. Frank and Drake, it's out now, I think. Yeah, it is definitely out now, yeah. so um, Is is it a game that I would like? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you'd like it for five minutes. No, you're not going to play it. I really like your games that you recommend, Gareth, because they're quite similar to my taste, but there always seems like there's a lot going on with the characters as well in the mm. background. Sometimes a bit depressing, but you know, yeah. a lot going on. I do like that. I'd like yeah. a narrative behind games, so it does sound good. Yeah, no, it's really good. Um, Darren, you got another game for us? Uh, well, I've I talked about it last week, but I've finished um, and the review is live now at Novalands, which um, for those who didn't listen last week is a resource management simulator essentially uh where you crash land on an island uh, well a group of islands on a planet and you have to build up base camp and harvest resources to survive and then you can have automated bots to carry out tasks so you're not having to run around and do everything um and i gave it a four out of five because i, I really enjoyed it and i kind of I, I was playing it um one day this week and kind of blinked and four hours had gone and i was like wow like it is a bit of a rabbit hole to go down but it's it's really really well done for the most part it was just the controls were a bit fiddly because his menu so again really what we've been talking about already there's a there was a bit of a design choice where um you have to when you pick up resources you can carry them on your person and rucksack and take them back to to different places whether you need to take it back to like a power plant or a refinery to, to make other materials and you can't specify 
a, a quantity of that material to take out. You can only halve it by holding the right trigger down and hitting A or transfer all of them. So you tend to do this little dance with moving items where you, the, the, the kind of constructed the building will take the amount of resources it needs to make the item, but you can't just say you need two to produce one, have two. If you've got 80, you've got to give it 40 or all 80. It's really odd. So you end up kind of shuffling things around to make space for inventory and goodness knows what else. Um, but, you know, other than little things like that, it was it was really, really enjoyable. And there's combat in it as well. So when you explore the islands, there's certain creatures that inhabit the islands and you can choose to go in and fight them or there's other ways to kind of overcome them. Um, and I just I just really, really enjoyed it. It was a really nice kind of world to explore and it and every biome if you like felt different so they were all themed the islands and it, and it did keep you kind of guessing to what was around the corner so although the gameplay was quite it was uh, yeah i said in the review it's unapologetically a sin game its blueprint is sin management but actually it's done in a, such a way that it's really enjoyable and there's a real good sense of progression you're not just grinding for resources for hours and hours like it keeps things moving because there's loads of buildings to build loads of different materials to find so I'd, I'd recommend giving it a look i think it's only about 16 17 quid as well but there's a lot of game for your money there great that's a good mm. that. intrigued by that yeah really mm, it's good um paul second game hello my second game, well, again, I'm going to mention um, Exo Primal just in passing because Darren and Richard have both joined me in the game and had a good time. The only person mm, yeah. really missing was the uh, the host of this podcast who <laughs> said he was going to play it and then didn't bother. I was really busy and then I opened it up. I loaded it up and then I went, can you scan this to put it on? No, I'm not scanning this. And I was just off and that was as far as Oh, I yeah, that took me well, a few minutes. That annoyed me. Yeah, so. It's all this modern technology into it, Clarice. Scan. You don't like that. I don't want to scan something to play a game. Get away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, Exo Primal still awesome. Um, the other game I've been playing, and this is one that I'm going to regret ever taking on, is Monster Energy Supercross 6, um, which is a motorbike racing simulator from milestone the people that do apparently all of the motorbike games in the world um now i've got to say i'm not a perfect fit for a motorbike game i much prefer a mode of transport that when you park it up you don't have to worry about it falling over so you just sort of get out of the car done this thing oh my goodness i think just for me driving it the subtitle should have been falling off simulator because I cannot get my guy to go round a corner at more than walking speed. I can't get him to land a jump. I can't get him to take off from a jump cleanly. It's it's really not clicking with me at the minute. Um, I've got to play it some more. I've literally just won my first race today, which was nice because I got an achievement, so that made me happy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it looks nice. The, the bikes and everything is all right. Apparently, the guys that are in the game are the real motocross riders. I mean, I wouldn't know them if I fell over them. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just, it's so hard to control a bike. I mean, I imagine doing motocross is quite tricky in real life. Um, but you'd think with it being a video game, you might have had a little bit of hand-holding rather than, oh, no, 
you touch that uh, little tiny hay bale by the side of the track. That means you're going over the handlebars and you're going to go back 300 paces in the race. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's tricky. Tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. But look out for an upcoming review when I've played it more and then I will have to try and be objective and say, yes, this is a jolly good racing game. Look out for that um, in 2024. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How rude. Uh, uh, the good news is, Paul, Ride 5's coming out this month, so you can do that well, one. I'll tell you, uh, that's Darren's punishment uh, yeah. for uh, being naughty. He has to do the next bike game. If I have to do all those ship simulator games and you can do all the motorbike games, okay. I'll, 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 I'll swap you your ship simulator for the strategic <laughs> mind games I had to review, mate. Good. Um, oh. Great, Paul, well done. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about the last game, is a game called Dead Man's Diary. Now, the weird thing about this game is sometimes we have to sort of look at trying to get a description when we use to kind of get the from the developers. I, I normally go into the Steam page and get, you know, like, Who's who's the developer who's made this? Well, I'm doing over you and get the information. Um, sometimes you then look at what people have said, <laughs> and you go. So and then and then this one, lots of anger straight away, and I was like, oh no. But there are problems. But actually, it was good. And the and the premise is, I have, I've had a good, all right time with it. The, the premise is, it's there's been a nuclear war. Yeah, this maniac is sort of like. Um, throw nuclear weapons everywhere. Single person, the world's in um, nuclear winter. You, everyone's been in bunkers for fifteen years, but the food is scarce, and you've been chucked out the bunker to go and look for food and, and do that. So that's that's how it's set up. So you're basically in a helicopter thrown down to the into the middle of the forest, and uh, you've got to survive. You then get a voiceover of your protagonist. It's like you remember um, <laughs> Atomic Heart, which Darren's a Good fan of, but the, the <laughs> protagonist in that was a pain in the ass. This is more. Oh, I know you didn't like it. No. Um, and this one is, but it's like it's written by an AI. It feels like that. It doesn't feel quite um, right. Yeah, it's a bit odd. So and the voiceover does. It's not right. Anyway, so you you know that, but the idea is like you you've just got to survive basically. So you you head into like a settlement. So you first find a sort of like industrial settlement, and you've got to look for food and water. But the food and water, you've got to get a Geiger counter. God help you, you don't find that straight away. Geiger hand counter, and then every bit of food or water you've got to t- test on. <laughs> Little counter comes, and it might say contaminated or not. If it's not contaminated, your quid's in, you can take it. Um, <laughs> and then in those areas, you have to sort of like survive, do this. Radiation is killing you, you need to take iodine pills and... Um, make sure you don't get a fever and then you've got to set up a camp so you need to go out and hunt for resources and uh and then of course there are other things in this sort of like story and adventure that that are possibly there looking at you in the ground which will get revealed a bit later on or or not and there's other dangers like there's a there's a bear at one point um that comes into the thing and you've got to sort of like hide or run away. If it rains, you've got to get to shelter. You can't spend long out there or you're dead. So it's quite, it's quite despairing. And I think this is where the people have gone. Oh my God, this is, this isn't, I think it, it takes a while for it to get going. You do as you get, it's a big old game as well. It's like 20 odd hours, but it takes a while to get into the, um, 
into the rhythm of it and get into some interesting areas with the story. So I think people can give up after five hours. I think that's what will happen because you just go, I can't be doing this anymore. That's what's happened, I think. But there's something good there. I mean, the problem with it is it's twenty four ninety nine, and I think those type of games are really got to hit the ground running in this heavy market. Um, visuals look good, but it's it's something they just reuse in assets sometimes, and it's it's yeah. So it's a, I, I was a bit more calmer because I quite enjoyed myself when I go into the rhythm of it. And I was just going, all right, I'm going to go and hunt for food. And I, got, I kind of got, I got into, I was quite, I found, I found the whole surviving death quite relaxing. It's just every day in London, though, isn't it? Going out with your Geiger counter. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's something I, I, I enjoyed about it. I didn't mind it at all. I kind of like spent it, it just was like, it was a, that much action is just like you're just wandering around looking for food. Yeah. Something about it I quite sounds, like. It sounds quite a lot like Fallout 5. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's yeah, there's something, it's something in there, something in there, but 2499. Ooh, you've got to, you've got to, yeah, you've got to be really firing on that all cylinders for that, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's the games. Um, News-wise, it's, it's still quite quiet at the moment, but there's a couple of things out there. Um, mm. Who wants to start? Let's go for, we know, can I make, let's start with the, the sad news that Immortals Phoenix, which is a big, we're a big fan of on this uh, <laughs> yeah. pod, podcast, as we talked about before, the sequel's been scrapped. What do we think? I can't, be- I can't believe they've scrapped the sequel. I really enjoyed Phoenix Rising. It's the first Ubisoft game I've actually finished in a very long time. Mm. Uh, I can't be bothered with all the Assassin's Creed nonsense. Um, but yeah, Immortals Phoenix Rising, I really enjoyed that. Played it all the way through and then bought the DLC. So yeah, it's uh, it's bad news for me. Bad decision, Ubisoft. Um, Darren, did you play it? I can't remember. No, I haven't, um, to be fair. But I remember hearing about how fondly you guys were, were chatting mm. about it on the podcast. Really good. And it's on the long list to play for leisure when I'm not playing review games or working. But yeah, it it just is a bit like, oh, typical Ubisoft. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the, you know what I mean? Like, it's, there's a game that is a bit different and people like and they've done well and now it's not going to get a sequel. And it's interesting that in the article that I was reading, they're talking about uh, they want to strengthen, you know, the existing IPs and things like that. And I... I don't know how broad that spectrum you know how how broadly they're going to cast that net are they still going to be pursuing skull and bones or is that going to face the chopper is beyond good and evil 2 ever going to materialize are they going to finally announce that that's dead as well (laughs) because they've they've said that this is not happening but you know there's loads of question marks there's a spin cell remake supposedly in the works there's a prince of persia remake so i think they're probably consolidated and deciding the strategy but if they're taking, you know, less risks on unknown IPs, I think that's that's only a bad thing, isn't it? Or, mm-hmm. It is. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this thing IPs was, well, it was, yeah, it was completely unknown when it came out, and it was just fantastic. Mm. It was really, it was a really, really good game. You should play it, Darren. It's very good. <laughs> I will um, do. I will do. But yeah, it's um, if they just start concentrating on flipping Assassin's Creed now, then. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be impressed. Um, I think it was. I think it came out at a wrong time because they had that weird moment when Ubisoft released three big games when the new um, consoles came out, which was Watch Dogs, um, the London one, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and and this all came out at the same time. And something would have to 
something had to go, you know, and that, and and on just on the actual people buying stuff, I think this was the one it suffered. It didn't sell very well. Um, if they would have waited, I think six months for this, it could have done really well. Like releasing it now would have been yeah. great, rather than you know whenever it was December, I think. So, um, mm. I think more people would have played it. And it, we wouldn't be here. But yeah, I know, I know. It's, a, it's just they are. I mean, they've really gone mad on their Star Wars game, which I really like. Look, I'm the only one here. I, know. I do. Uh, well, no, Dan's there. They go, and they, and yeah. they, 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 that sounds like they're ready to go with that one. I think it's going to be March or something, probably. I don't know. It feels like they're really pushing it at the moment. Um, and hopefully that might be good. And uh, of course, the Assassin stuff will, um, yeah, will happen. But yeah, Paul's right. I think it's a shame. It's a real shame. But on good news, now I we saw a um, gameplay trailer for Armored Core Six, oh. and uh, I went, "This is this is, <laughs> this is Paul. This is all it's, Paul." It's, that's, that's got it's me written up yeah. all over it. Giant robots and guns, yes, please, <laughs> and from software as well. You could see the from software DNA in the in the trailer that we watched. Yeah, um, I, I actually went out and I was looking around on the internet and found like. Um, did you see the deep dive into the gameplay that they did? That did. video. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's very, very three-dimensional as well. You can fly around and fight in the air and fight on the ground and big robots kicking the crap out of each other. I mean, what's not to love? Do you want to review this one, then? Um, well, you know, after I've done Atlas Fall. You, you can't do both. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Darren, do you like the look of this? Uh, I do. I, was it at Summer Games Fest or oh, one of them? I feel like I've seen it before briefly somewhere. No, I but no, I, I do like the look of this. I'm, you know, quite a fan of like anime and kind of mecha anime and stuff. I've yeah. watched it a lot in the past. So this type of setting um, appeals to me as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Oh, but um, I'm not sure if I'll fight Paul for it because I know it's got his his kind of name written all over it. Yeah. Game, so. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it looks um it looks like it would give me a headache. And that's what the first thing I saw when I did it. <laughs> uh, but it, it does look good. It's good um from software. It's good. Um yes, and we got a kind of like little thing about this Project Q um video leak. <laughs> this PlayStation um what's it called? Portable thing. Is this I've forgotten about this. Uh, this is actually really it's not though, is it? It, from what I'm reading, it's not even a portable thing. It's, you have to use it. Do you not have to use it in the house? Yeah, it's um, it's like uh, it streams from the main console, like the Wii U, doesn't it? So it's not the yeah. Switch where so it's, it's, it's not even you can you can't wander off with it and go on a train or whatever. Really? No. Wow. Which that's, is why that's yeah. what I've read. Yeah, that's that's which is why it's a few weeks ago I was bonkers. It seems like ten years ago the technology. So I'm not, I'm on unless it's going to do more. I'm on, I'm not sure who's asking for this. Yeah. If I'm being well, it's not me. No, not me. No, no. Um, well, there you I go. Mean, somebody's it's just the look of the thing as well. Somebody's cut a dual sense controller in half and glued them onto the side of a tablet. And it just it just looks ridiculous. Well, apparently, they won't come away from the screen either. No, so you know you've got the Joy-Cons on the Switch. They're, they're sawed in half and glued on there, so they're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's just bonkers. It's the most ridiculous-looking piece of hardware I've seen. And I, and I bought a GameCube. <laughs> it's a prototype. A it must be GameCube a prototype. Um, we'll see what happens with that. Um, I'm sure it might get better. 
Um, well, there's headphones for those who don't want a Project Q. They're the two big ideas from from Sony in the hardware space this year. Yeah. But I did see rumours that the PS5 Slim might materialise at some point. So who knows? Maybe there is something else to come. Yeah. Is there any need for that though? Well, I mean, obviously, of... obviously, the PS5 is the size of a planet, but you know, yeah. I, I, well, do you need a, Do we need a mid console refresh? Do we need a midlife refresh for these new consoles? I, well, I, I don't think a, we do. I, I think you're right, though. The, the size, sorry, Gareth. The, yeah. the, the, it's not like tidy and boxy like an Xbox. It's bigger and it's it's a weird shape. And depending on what they can do with price points, depending on the features that it comes with, there may well be a space for it. You know. Mm, I don't know. I think Xbox I mean, has said they're not going to do anything, are they? They're not going to do a mid. Well, they console. don't need to, do they? No. They're not. Mm, the, no. the games are not up to what the Xbox can do yet. Mm. So well, they've kind of no done need it for new hardware with Series S. They kind of did it at the beginning, though, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. So, yeah. Oh, there we go. Um, let's just talk about one more thing, which is kind of interesting. There's a, there's a, someone's done a, a sort of demo of Unreal Engine Five. So the city in that Unreal Five demo, you could get a cityscape at the end, and you could mm-hmm. do make demos from it, and it gives you they, they gave you the tools. And someone's used an AI generator. Now, correct me if I'm wrong on this. AI generator. So every NPC you can go up to and talk through the mic and ask them questions and they will respond back to you in some way. Um, so there's a video on YouTube um, that Neil might put the link on. He might not. Um, afterwards, he probably won't. Um, <laughs> if he can be bothered. If he can yeah. be bothered. And uh, <laughs> you, should, you could have a look at it there, but it's, it's an... What do we think about this? I mean, is it? Is this? I mean, the whole thing about AI at the moment, and that's why people are on strike and everything else. That people are writing. What do we think, Darren? What do you think? Did you have a look? I did have a look, and it's um, it's it's quite cool. Um, but I'm not sure how I feel about being judged or <laughs> sassed by characters and you know NPCs in the game. That I'm not sure if it adds to the experience or if it takes it just a little bit too far because some of the responses are quite profound as well. And I think there was there was one chap who saying, Oh, you know, there's there's a lot of downsides to living in New York City, but look out for the good things as well. And it was I was like, oh my God, this is getting quite deep. I'm not sure whether that's too much for a game. Like I like to kind of know the boundaries of the universe I'm going into, but um, it is amazing, kind of what they can do. It just makes you wonder, like where it'll where it'll end, I guess. Mm. I mean, it's just like Darren said. There's a thing. That I think the guy right near the beginning of the video goes, um, "Wow, I don't, did he say I don't like your haircut? I don't like your haircut." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy goes, "Oh my god, does it look awful?" And so depressed. It's like almost depressed. <laughs> and he felt really bad for asking it. That was really interesting. Yeah. Paul, what do you think? I had to check watching the video that it wasn't set in London because everybody yeah. seemed to be really grumpy. <laughs> everybody you spoke to was in a bad mood, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, come on, everybody in London is grumpy, guys. You know, it, you know it's true. They're not. Um, um, anyway, so yeah, I was watching that and I was just, it was just so strange. You know, it was just that you wander up to anybody and the way that you could talk to them and they'd react. Yeah. It was just like the guy with the haircut. He looked really upset. Yeah. So, uh, and then, you know, there was other guy like, well, what's what's the secret to happiness? And he was like, well, it's my family and this, that and the other. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, 
do, do you remember at the, at the end when he was saying to the guy, you're just an AI? And he was like, no, I'm not. Yeah. How, how yeah. dare you? <laughs> Can't read his shirt. I know. So it's that's kind of, where it gets scary. Isn't it, it? Does, it was, it? yeah, it's a bit concerning. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it's and it, in, this is what the writer's he, strike is all about, and this is what the actor's strike is coming. You know, these bits of things are basically there's bits of that watch they're worried about as well. Like, mm. you're just going to use, you know, writers, or you're just going to get rid of writers because you're just going to have AIs doing this. You know, and it will mm. get it will get better, but it's yeah, mm. worth a watch, worth a watch, definitely. I mean, if you're playing GTA, the new GTA, that's all you're going to be. You'd just be chatting to people all the time. <laughs> Well, I was, I was going to say that. Can you imagine GTA? Like you, in some of the things you can do in the games of GTA, and then you've got a conscience behind the NPCs. I, I don't think that will be an enjoyable experience. No, anymore, would it? become I very odd. This is where I'm talking about boundaries. You know, for, for games, like it is still. It, where where do we draw the line between just how real do we want it to be? Because it could turn into quite a harrowing experience quite quickly. <laughs> it could be. Imagine if you were just, imagine if you go, what have you done today? I just spent two hours chatting to this guy in the corner. <laughs> that was my gaming night. It was, it was I was a... going to rob him, but I felt bad, so <laughs> yeah. I chose not to. The, yeah, the AI was a bit depressed. I just had to talk about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, good. Right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, let's talk about what we're looking forward to next week. Paul, what about you? What are you looking forward to? Next week, um, I'm going to have my shoulders sorted out on mm. Tuesday, hopefully. So uh, I'm quite looking forward to that. They, I spoke to the doctor and they said, we'll put you on the waiting list. And they rang back and went, I'll tell you what, one of the doctors here can do it. So I'm just going to go to my regular doctors and have my uh, shoulders sorted out, which will be nice. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to moving without pain. There we go. Moving without pain. We had a preview of that last week, so it's quite good. On the full <laughs> next week, we'll, get the, we'll, get, we'll find out an update. Good. Make sure you're on. Well, if week. I'm on next week, oh, yeah. I will do. Yeah, yeah, another health update. Keep your ears peeled. Depends if you get out of the falling. Um, right, Darren. <laughs> Never going to speak to me again if I get that. Is it? It'll just be me and you, Gareth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Darren, what are you looking forward to? Uh, so uh, just catching up on on games really um and uh, we're going to see oppenheimer after this mm. podcast uh, i'm not doing barbenheimer because i'm not really massively bothered about barbie um but yeah looking forward to it but i've heard it's um quite heavy so mm. yeah good it's a long one three and three hours and something like that yeah um i am looking forward to what am i looking at this again oh i do if some people might know, so I do a thing called 90 Second Stories, which I've done for about a year and a bit. And I do a 90 Second Story now every two weeks. Um, and it's just a, like a film, and I put it out in a week. I'm coming up to number 50. So I've got to do that Ooh. on Friday. Yeah, which is a landmark. 50 stories are on there. Yeah, so it, it needs to be a, something special then. Well, hopefully it is. We'll see that. You I've know, we've, we've... I filmed it now, so hopefully it is. Don't put the pressure <laughs> on me now. Well, we've been watching it since day one, Gareth. Yeah. We need to, if the 50th one, it's got to be something special. You need to at least be wearing a party hat or something. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know. We filmed it already, so it's done. Oh. Oh, sorry, Paul. Yeah, there you go. You can trace over it. And draw oh, it. yeah, rotoscope. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, oh, great. I like that. Oh, that'd be good. I'll see if I can do that in an hour before it goes out. <laughs> yeah, of course you can. Yeah. After you've done the podcast, just do that. <laughs> yeah. Long. yeah. Um, now... Where can we find you if we need to get hold of you, Paul? Well, 
I was going to say I'm on the Twitter and the threads and mm. the Instagram and stuff, but I don't think it's called Twitter anymore, is it? Oh, no, yeah. Is no. it? Is it? Am, am I now on X? You're on X now, yeah. Apparently so. Yeah. Yes, and I have to be careful here because apparently Darren was prompting me to uh, use a certain phrase with an animal name um, when I was talking <laughs> about mean? this. And I don't want to do that because this is a uh, family podcast. So on X and on threads, and I assume on Instagram, I still haven't put anything on there. uh, My handle (laughs) is at Xbox Hub Paul. That's your task. That's where you put something on Instagram. Um, Just a a picture. Just a picture of your shoulder. Put the most across review on Instagram next week. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. that'll be awesome, won't it? <laughs> I could just put a number on there. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, good. So that's where you can find you. What about you, Darren? Well, I, I kind of am a bit sad because do we have to retire handle now? What, what are tweets yeah. called? No, everyone, called everyone's, everyone's, they're, called, they're called X's. Everyone's going to call them Yeah, he oh, said that they're, they're no longer going to be called tweets. They're going to be called X's. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I think Elon's lost the plot, to be fair. But hasn't he has, the plot, did he? Hasn't Microsoft also, don't they own X? This is I don't think you can own a letter. Haven't they trademarked it for social media they've, use? They've trademarked, well, they had X when they had Mixer, didn't they? They had oh, that yeah, as a logo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I don't know if that's they still going. They can do a letter, but, yeah. Yeah, I mean that that would be a great fight, wouldn't it? Elon Musk and Microsoft, <laughs> for awesome. Well, there's there's quite a, there's quite a few uh, good reactions on Twitter to companies changing their logos. Because I recommend looking at them; it's very funny. Um, we'll we'll just stick with the, the trial and tested for now. So um, my handle on Twitter, rest in peace, is at twenty seven Darren. Good, and my thing on Twitch. Twitter, and I'm not going to say anything else, and other things, GB Briley, but for now, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the xboxhub.com. You'll be able to find all the notes of this show at www.thexboxhub.com slash podcast. You can also check out our social feeds on Instagram and Twitter at the Xbox Hub, and search for the Xbox Hub on Facebook.